So having watched this now, do you feel like this was a good choice for Black History Month or not? Really? <laughs> oh my goodness, no. Really? Yeah. I think Rudy Ray Moore is a pretty well-regarded independent black filmmaker. If there were less watermelon jokes, I feel like we might have gotten away with this. He's allowed to make those jokes. We're not making those jokes. I wasn't even going to mention it until you brought it up right now. (laughs) Yeah, but you did bring up Black History Month. It's Black History Month right now, and we have chosen uh, a filmmaker who I think we both enjoy. This is our third Rudy Ray Moore movie, and I, when I thought of what's a good Black History Month uh, episode, that's our guy. Rudy Ray Moore is our guy. He was my introduction to black exploitation films and continues to like be one of the people who is bringing films that are from a community for a community and I think that is a good representation of Black History Month. I just wish there was a, a few less like I don't know why there were so many watermelon stereotypes thrown into this bad boy. <laughs> I, th- to be clear, those are not the only stereotypes. There oh, are there are lots in well, here too. Yeah, yeah. yeah but yeah. I say again, he's allowed to make them. Welcome to Bad Movies and Beer. I'm Cooper. I'm Nolan. It's a very serious fucking introduction for us, actually. Yeah, I know. Normally. Yeah, that's right. You know, this is this is the real thing. I we you know we have not done episodes in February before, and it's kind of given us this opportunity. Great excuse in my books for another trip on the old Rudy Ray Moore train. Yeah, no, I'm always excited for that. I I think it's hard for me because um, the first adventure I took on that train was such a magical one that yep. each subsequent trip has been fun and interesting in its own way, but. I maybe never lived up to the expectations created by that Ooh, first journey. A little diminishing returns, you're saying. It was just such a magical and strange experience the first time that the other times afterwards maybe haven't quite gotten there. You 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 put me at the top of the mountain and I've <laughs> nowhere to go just, but yeah, down. fallen down yeah. a little bit since then. We should mention we are discussing today Petey Wheatstraw, the devil's son-in-law, which I think if I'm being honest, most people have that as like fourth place in the Rudy Ray Moore pantheon behind uh, Dolomite Human Tornado and Disco Godfather. Two of the three of those we've covered in the past. If you want to check them out, just uh, you know, go look back through episodes. Human Tornado was season one, I think, right? And then Disco Godfather was season two? Yeah, I believe so. Somewhere back there. It's like yeah. in the 60s, I think, episode 60-something. Yeah. But episode 114, P.D. Wiestra. And uh, we're going to talk about all the hilarious Rudy Ray Moorisms, questionable script and editing and special effect decisions. Uh, there is some stereotype stuff that we talked about. But before we get into all that, we have paired the movie up with a beer, as we always do. And I got to say, I feel like this one is an absolute layup. Yeah, we're going to be drinking the Devil's Punch Bowl. Devil's Son-in-Law, we're the Devil's Punch Bowl. Yeah, this is this is perfect. He is uh, kind of the Devil's Punching Bag a little bit in this movie, right? He uh, He's going to make a deal with the Devil, and we know that never goes really well. Uh, this is an India Session Lager. The fuck is that? I, we saw this in the canon. I have no idea what this is. So I believe it's a lager that they have done some dry hopping with to give it some more of the citrus and sort of fruit flavors from hops to this like if you take a look on the back here it says dry hop to showcase some big floral and fruity aromas um, but a mild bitterness and finishes dry with a malty sweetness so so it's times like this when i'm forced to ask the question am i going to like this beer I think so. Oh, okay. Where's it from? Uh, I've had it several times, actually. This one I've drank quite a bit. It's from the Clifford Brewing Company, uh, which is out of Hamilton, Ontario. So uh, pretty local to us. I would say they are 
one of the best makers of traditional styles of beer. Like they're a craft brewery, awesome dude who runs it. Like he's the owner and brewmaster. They have a really cool space. They're the east end of Hamilton. Uh, they hold lots of events. They're good for the community. They work together, do all kinds of stuff. But they make really good versions of a lot of standard beers. They have a really good porter. They're well known for making yeah, a I've really had that excellent That's good porter. Stuff. Yeah. Right? They have actually a super crushable lager. It's called the Crusher. Yep, I've had that one yeah, too. Yeah, yeah that good. one's yeah. good as well. So I would say if you're looking for just like a really solid beer, they are kind of the like craft beer for every man from Hamilton, right? Like that's okay, the very good to go. Yeah, I like it. Well, let's not uh, delay any more here. I would love to get into this. What do you say? Yeah, let's open it up. All right. So we open with a roaring flame and Rudy Ray Moore literally introducing himself and also listing off his resume in traditional rhyming fashion. My favorite? I'm not here to brag nor here to boast. I can sit on a tombstone and produce baby ghosts. He's apparently very fertile and uh, also very fertile. His mother, as we flash back to the day he was born, and this scene, wow. Oh my goodness. Yeah, um, it is a stormy Miami night is what we are told as we flash back. I'm a little disappointed because I was enjoying his intro. It doesn't last quite long enough. I'm hoping we're going to get like a decent stand-up set here. We are not disappointed, though, when we transition to the mom giving birth scene because wow the acting and wow the decisions that are made here. She has a ginormous bulge in the blanket covering her. Like, I don't even know how to describe an object that like a large. Beach ball. It's, it's, it's comically Bigger large. than a yeah. beach ball, right? Like, like a it, yoga ball. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, it's like she has an exercise ball under the fucking blanket. And she is screaming. Her husband's running around maniacally. There's a couple other people in the house who are also just yelling. When the doctor arrives, he... Throws his head under the blanket, pulls out a watermelon first. Yeah, just like you said. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh. I don't know. And then we see him grab onto a foot after yelling, it tried to bite me. He drags out what has to be a seven-year-old boy. Oh, yeah. Baby PD is anything but a baby here. That's one of the ridiculous kind of sight gags we get in here. Also allusions to classic monster movies. Uh, this kid who comes out is not a fucking baby immediately attacks both the doctor and his own father before we jump into the extremely funky theme song. We are like three minutes into this thing and I already have no idea what the hell is going on, which is to me a trademark also of Rudy Ray yeah, Moore. It's a giant mess here already, but it's, yeah, it is, it is pretty entertaining and funny. Um, why does he attack his father? Uh, he says he's the one like keeping him up at night or something, which is that like, cause his dad's like nailing the mom or yeah that, yeah that that? the joke here oh, yeah. is that yeah he he was keeping his he was keeping him up in the womb all night because he wanted to kept poking him yeah, or something yeah, oh god yeah uh well like i said i have no idea what's happening but luckily that will definitely change in our next scene <laughs> we transition to that little pd getting beat up from some of his classmates here um and while all this is going down we have a prophetic old man watching it happen is he prophetic or is he just wise? He doesn't like tell young Petey the future. He just kind of like 
takes him under his wing. It turns out he's just like a wise kung fu master who's going to well, teach him the ways of the world. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Because we know that young Petey will eventually become fully grown Rudy Ray Moore, the old man, of course, teaches him kung fu. And as you mentioned, uh, the mysteries of the world. Apparently, he imparts all the mysteries of the world of this kid in like, I don't know, a few weeks of training. But with his education nearly complete, young Petey confesses that following this old man's path of enlightenment is not what he wants for his future. Instead, his dream is to tell jokes for a living. And smash cut to Rudy Ray Moore on stage, just roasting the crowd. We've seen this before, but I never get tired of it. <laughs> no, this is good. This is what I thought we were going to get at the beginning. And he lays into some lady and then her husband when he tries to stand up He threatens to slap the guy in the face with some lady's t- <laughs> <laughs> yeah and the guy shuts up as soon as he does it but then that show ends and we see him quickly going backstage there's some groupie back there who is trying to get with him or wants to stay with him but he tells her he's going to be moving on he's heading on to the next show the next town um, but that he, he promises he'll be back for her one day and we know he's lying he will not be yeah, back yeah, for her yeah, he wants there's no scenario her. where he goes back for her yeah. no uh, now from there we cut to a couple of gentlemen named Leroy and Skillet who are apparently playing themselves. Their names were in the opening credits as Leroy and Skillet. They, like a comedy duo that we don't know about because we're white and weren't alive in the 1970s. 1970s? Yeah. yeah, I think that's exactly what it is, right? I think this is a legitimate comedy duo who have agreed to join this movie, and they're kind of his competition here, I think. Uh, they they want to put on their own show, uh, but he poses a problem for them very quickly. Yeah, I, w- I don't want to... Um push back too hard on your statement that they are a legitimate comedy duo but we see them in action <laughs> later and uh, let's just say your mileage may vary <laughs> on on maybe, the the word legitimate yeah. yeah maybe some of their material has an age well i don't know but oh, right. i did not uh necessarily i'm not rushing out to buy a leroy and skillet album let's put it that way um yes as you mentioned they are closing a deal to open a new club with a shady white mobster type named mr white I mean, no one ever accused Rudy Ray Moore of working too hard in a script, right? Let's face it. <laughs> no, he's all about the action and the rhymes, right? This is what he's bringing to the screen. We don't need to come up with uh, sophisticated names here. Let's keep it uh, pretty simple. We'll just call Leroy and Skillet Leroy and Skillet. We'll call the white guy Mr. White. Yeah. Sounds Let's get like to a the monster name. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Uh, well, it turns out Leroy and Skillet might have bitten off more than they can chew here, especially when Skillet hears a radio interview the next day. See, Petey Weistraw is coming to town to launch his new show, and he happens to be doing it on the exact same day as Leroy and Skillet's new club is supposed to open, or maybe it's like the day after or something. But it's too close, and it's going to fuck with their business. So faced with the very real possibility of this new club sinking before it can even get started, they hatch a plan to get Petey out of the way. And just like that, you had the whole plot of this movie. Yeah, yeah, this became really clear what was going to happen. And uh, yeah, you knew that they had to get rid of him. And then that's where he'd go to hell and where we would have the deal with the devil. And that's exactly what happens (laughs) if we go through this. Yeah. Uh, So we know that Uh, Petey's got trouble headed his way from Leroy and Skillet. But after stopping by the club he'll be performing at to check it out, he finds some other trouble. This time in the form of some no good junkies, he finds ripping parts off his car. Rudy Ray Moore runs them down and fires off some of his trademark kung fu, but not before giving them a glorious warning, which, of course, rhymes. You'll take from your mama, you'll even take the limbs off of a tree. But I'm going to kick your ass for messing with me. <laughs> I, love, I, love the, I love the fucking rhyming. Yeah. I don't, yeah, no, this is pretty hilarious. The 
chase scene after he gets out is all sped up and we even get kind of like Benny Hill music as they're running around and circling well, things. Well, and Benny Hill video footage. It's yeah. like a sped up thing. Like he's chasing them then they're chasing him. They're going around this fucking shed. It's just this classic comedy. We have eggs thrown in the air and then he does use his kung fu skills to kick all of their asses. The most hilarious part to me was um, that he makes them go back and repair his car. Yeah, yeah man, of course. And, and then he publicly shames them and tells the rest of the people in the neighborhood, look at these guys. These are the guys who are robbing you. They do it again. Kick their fucking ass. Yeah, and coming out strong anti-drug here, which we would see to a much uh, higher degree in Disco Godfather a few years later. Yeah, absolutely. There's definitely an undertone of a message for the community of viewers in his movies, right? He's oh, always, yeah. He's, he's fully promoting his virulent sexuality. <laughs> <laughs> That's and, message number one. Yeah, but no, below absolutely, that, yeah. But below just that, just beneath the surface, there is, is a strong message of, uh, yeah. Like, fuck corruption yep. and fuck drugs. Yep. Right? And that's Preserving the community. and Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, well, with this car reassembled, Petey is unwinding with his female business partner when he gets a threatening phone call from Leroy. What we get is a classic Rudy Ray Moorism. He calls Leroy a rat soup-eating son of a bitch. But Leroy gets the last word, which has the double effect of angering Petey Wheatstraw and putting an end to the sex he was about to begrudgingly have with that lady. <laughs> Nell. Nell is this character's name. Yep. And she does she own the club that he's performing at, uh, or she just works there? Unclear. She describes herself as his personal assistant, but I don't know if that means business-wise or sexually. When he's in, well, it has to be business because... He kind of turns her down at first. He's not super interested in sleeping with her. No, and he tells her because he doesn't like mixing business and pleasure. That's true. But then right? 30 seconds later, he's like, all right, come here. We'll take <laughs> but, it for a spin. But then it gets disrupted, yeah. and that's kind of a running joke in this thing, is that every time that they're about to bone down he's finally going to give in to Nell and the phone rings <laughs> yeah no exactly uh, so threats have been made and now it's time for Leroy and Skillet to take things up a notch they decide to send some goons to pay a visit to Ted a guy who's been helping Petey Wheatstraw promote his show and this visit takes a tragic turn when a bullet meant for Ted hits his younger brother Larry instead we get a slow motion shot of his body falling to the ground while his brother's voice echoes out his name. And all I could think of here was how this is like Rudy Ray Moore warming up for Disco Godfather. Remember all the weird effects we got in that one? Yeah, that one got really, really trippy. Uh, all of like the drug highs and stuff. But yeah, this effect here we get is starting to show some of the craft or like experimentalness that he's willing to do like i we, think it's both yeah there, there's craft to it but he's experimenting in terms of like the tone of the film and again this to me that with the anti-drug message we already mentioned it's less straight comedy there is more of a social message to it and he's trying to like also like, like more serious filmmaking techniques i guess yeah and i actually think the lighting they use for him visiting hell and having those conversations. Yeah, we're going to see that in a minute. It's good. Which is yeah. coming very shortly, and that's sort of a big representation of that is it's quite effective. So some of that is definitely working. Um, as a viewer, I don't know if I prefer, like... It sounds like based on our conversation at the beginning yeah, of the episode the start, that you don't. Well, but. it's interesting. No, like, I like it more as a... Um, like, I think it might make it a better movie like less bad if we're looking at bad rating gotcha well i mean it shows some technique that the other ones maybe don't and you know the limitations they're dealing with too in terms yeah. of financing so it's like they have to get a little creative here and like you know find ways to kind of punch it up so i don't know it's interesting for sure uh unfortunately though little larry did not make it 
And as if things couldn't get any more tragic, we cut to the church where Little Larry's funeral is taking place to see more of Leroy and Skillet's goons waiting outside to take a shot at Petey Wheatstra, which they do, putting several bullet holes in his spectacular funeral attire. Oh, my God. I did. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. This suit is unbelievable. You didn't like it? Oh, sorry. The suit is hilarious. Um, the It's just like this amazing pinstripe three-piece with... Uh, yeah. Yeah, a lot of aggressive flash. pinstripes. Yeah, oh, those yeah, are yeah. aggressive pinstripes. Yeah, <laughs> it's a fantastic suit. No, I mean, what was rough was the fact that the guy steps out of a car and blows away all of these people walking out of a funeral with the body of a child in a coffin. Oh, yeah, they wipe out pretty much the entire procession here. But just then, a mysterious old man walks by with the power to undo all of this. What's his name, Noel? Lucifer, Lucy, Lu- yeah, they, they kind of like make it sound not Luciferish right away, but uh, it sounds like they split his name into a first and last name, Lucifer, which ironically, yeah. here's the movie Angel Heart. No, it's this kind of like a uh, film noir crime thing set in like New Orleans where Robert De Niro plays a character named Lou Cipher, who you'll never believe it. It turns out to be the devil. Oh, my God. Yeah, but it's like a serious movie, and I was like, oh, did they really just name him that? It's fucking weird. It's a good movie, though. I enjoyed it. You get to see Lisa Bonet uh, naked, so. (laughs) Hopefully not with Robert De Niro. No, it's with Mickey Rourke. Anyway, what are we talking about? Yeah, yeah, they stole. Yeah, you, Lisa, Lisa Bonet took you on quite the tangent there. She usually does. No, yeah. So it's, uh, I, I thought of that immediately, but that came afterwards. So I don't know. Yeah, so they stole that from this, right? Is what you're saying. Clearly. Yeah. 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 Okay. So we have Lucifer here, or Lucifer. The devil comes along to write this for him. But we know that the devil is not going to do this for free. The devil's got some kind of deal in mind here. What What's the devil going to offer up to. Uh, our friend here, to uh, reverse this mass murdering. Well, he tells Petey in the very appropriately lit underworld that you alluded to earlier that he's willing to bring him and all the other funeral guests back to life if Petey Wheatstraw agrees to marry his daughter and sire a child with her. Petey agrees before, almost as an afterthought, asking the devil what his daughter looks like. And the answer, not great. He shows uh, a picture and Petey immediately reneges. Oh, hell no, man. Uh, no, 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 I won't marry a deal or no deal. Kill me, man. Kill me. Yeah, I'm good. No, 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 I'll stay no, dead. No, yeah. no, let's just, <laughs> okay. We're all dead. Yeah, go it's ahead. Fine. Bury and, me. It's yeah. fine. And then we get a what must be like conscience whispers or something. These whispers come over and he changes his mind a little bit. He's like, nah, I can I can do this. I can I can make my way through it or or I can trick the devil later, he thinks. Yeah, he's he that's exactly what it is. He figures he'll be able to get out of it later. I have to say, considering how much of Rudy Moore's dialogue rhymes here, I'm a little surprised he didn't have some comment about rather being buried than being married. Something in there. I feel like he could have done something with that, but eh. <laughs> That would have definitely fit his style. Um, but uh, no, he was too shocked by that picture to come up with a rhyme. He That's just started- <laughs> it's, done, it's one of the only lines in the movie that doesn't rhyme. And he's just like, no, nah, I'm good. I'm out. This is the start of them teasing us basically for the whole movie about what she looks like, too, which I think yeah. is kind of a fun thing to, to move along. I agree. Uh, now, while her looks are apparently horrifying, it does seem like there's going to be some benefits to this arrangement, uh, besides being no longer dead, I mean. For one thing, Leroy and Skillet's henchmen are absolutely terrified when they see P.D. Wheatstraw back in the land of the living. And not only that, but as we learn in our next scene, the devil is also going to gift P.D. a powerful weapon that will unleash the full fury of his dark powers. 
And it's a fucking pimp cane. He <laughs> <laughs> gives him his own magical devil pimp cane. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, so Petey does take this. He comes back to life, and we get this weird reversal shot of everyone who was mowed down coming back. But this is this sort of happens, like, the event still happened, and the bad guys drove away, but this gets reversed. But the bad guys have no idea it's reversed. You're having a hard time explaining this because it, it really doesn't make it sense. It didn't make yeah. sense in the way that they cut and shot it. And so the time passes even though they were dead. And then Essentially, the movie, them. like, rewinds. And there's, like, a kind of an explosion light effect that is extremely low budget. But the gangsters were long gone. Like, we don't yeah. rewind to the spot where they're they still there. They think they killed everyone. Yes. But everyone just kind of rewinds back to life. Even though they should have been there when it rewound. Yes. Yeah. So that was sort of like the weird kind of confusing part. They do, like you said, freak out when they see him um, and kind of run away. They they see him because his friend was going to try to take revenge for his little brother. Um, but that we know that Rudy doesn't want that to happen. So he, he steps in as ghost form or whatever. Uh, this is where he is about to have sex again. So he's he Nell's convinced him that they're gonna they're gonna <laughs> yeah. fuck again. So they're getting ready to bone down. Poor Nell. Yeah, she, she has to work so hard for this, and every time it gets ruined, she gets each time and doesn't get a chance to have any sort of satisfaction. That's right? Exactly right. It's, She's always teased by the very prominent outline of Rudy Raymore's hog meat and his fucking <laughs> every costume, tidy green fucking yeah. underwear. Oh his yeah, fucking, his fucking yeah. briefs He's that matches his undershirt. Yeah, that damn phone. Always an interruption. Either a phone or like a whole bunch of goons are going to pop in and disrupt him right as he's about to take his hog out. Yeah, he jumps out and uh, th- like thwarts those guys. Essentially, he scares them off, uh, and he's about to get that cane, like I said. But he does not want to pick it up alone because apparently he has to get it from a cemetery. So. Uh, even though his own recent attempts to have sex have been thwarted by a couple of inconvenient phone calls, he makes a call to his friend and interrupts that guy right in the middle of when he was laying a pipe. Irony. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of um, phones fucking up with sex life. Yeah. Just like, Is it a metaphor? I don't know, maybe. Or you're just Rudy like... Rudy Moore coming out anti-technology before it was cool? Or maybe he's just saying the message, don't answer the fucking phone. Just take it off the hook. Yeah, just keep going. Yeah. <laughs> That guy is just right in the middle. His lady seems uh, very eager for him to get back in there. Yeah, she was not ready. And she literally. was not ready for it to finish, for sure. She was not, she's not ready for the night to end. No. Uh, but he does leave to go pick this cane up from, from the cemetery with Rudy Amour. Uh, and after some low-budget graveyard comedy, we hop over to Leroy and Skillet's club where they get a visit from Mr. White and his two non-speaking henchmen. I guess they didn't want to pay these guys for a speaking part. They just don't fucking stand there and do anything. Yeah. They decide to double down in their plan to take Petey Weister out once and for all, but it turns out he's one step ahead of them. Or at least the cane is. What happens in this next scene? <laughs> oh, my goodness. So we're at the club again, and uh, they're... Trying to look for some talent to support him in oh, his performance. <laughs> they better keep looking. Because oh, uh, this first lady who walks in is not strong. No, she's terrible. And his cane, his devil cane starts shaking. And we think it's just because she's awful. I think for a second it's going to transform her into a, like a beautiful singer. Yeah, like fucking Diana talented. Ross is going to be there yeah. or something all of a sudden. Yeah. But no, instead it drags him to the can. Like, right to the fucking washroom, and when he gets there, it drags him over to a garbage can, and he opens up and finds fucking TNT and a bomb. It's <laughs> this is the most fake-looking fucking dynamite I've ever seen in my life. But yeah, exactly right. You skipped over uh, his fantastic line when he sees her start singing. Do you remember that? 
No, what did he say? Damn, who in the hell is that bitch? <laughs> Indeed. Uh, <laughs> so he fucking... They throw this dynamite around for a little while. It stops fucking ticking. Then it starts ticking again. And he ends up just fucking like, they throw it out the thing, don't they? I don't even know. He runs outside. Oh, that's right. Yeah, And yeah. he throws it onto a fucking watermelon truck. It's <laughs> The watermelons all explode and hit random people in the community. One is like a crossing guard yeah. in the middle of doing their motions. You're yeah. like... Holy fuck! He's this blowing—he's literally blowing up stereotypes. Rudy Amore <laughs> is a goddamn trailblazing <laughs> oh pioneer. Oh my god! Uh, so yeah, so, I don't know, man. You have a problem with this watermelon truck blowing up? I think that's fucking. I don't know. It was—it was kind of funny. This, it was the end of an obscenely slapstick, silly kind of scene. They decide, though, after this sort of attempt on their lives again, that they've had enough. It's time for them to go on the offense. They're gonna head over and see this opening show. By the two chuckle fucks, I forget. Leroy and Skillet? Yeah. How can you, the fuck can you forget the name Leroy and Skillet? Because it's so ridiculous. Oh, I don't know, but Leroy's not a ridiculous name. Skillet's Skillet. not ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, you know what they're going to see at that fucking opening night? Much better musical performances than the one they were just seeing where that bomb <laughs> went off. Uh, PD does decide to pay a visit. Someone points out that this is a particularly dangerous course of action, but P.D. Wheatstraw has a plan. By putting on a pair of sunglasses and a small red hat, he'll make himself completely unrecognizable. But just in case a particularly sharp henchman manages to see through this foolproof disguise, Rudy Ray Moore also dials up an absolutely flawless accent from France? I have no Romania? idea. I think it was something European, but it is impossible to tell. It's really bad. It's not a good <laughs> accent. Well, I haven't seen an accent this bad since Pam Greer's Jamaican accent and coffee. Remember that <laughs> oh, one? Fuck. It only lasted for like four scenes. Four scenes is a lot of scenes, man. <laughs> the person who thinks they recognize him, though, before he puts on the accent is Scarface Willie. Oh, we haven't talked about that guy. Well, he's the one the, who the killed the on little his face. kid. And, how'd, yeah. you, how'd you feel about the scar makeup? Oh, it's awful. You pointed it out right away. Yeah, someone just drew a line across it's his not, face. It does some not blood. look like a scar. No. Yeah. So, yeah, really, really poor makeup on this guy. This character is also, like, fucking terrible. He's the one that mowed everyone down at the funeral. He killed the little like kid. He's a terrible person or he's a terrible character? Both. <laughs> The character itself I mean, is so yeah. like so fucking paint by numbers. It's like there's no depth to that shit at all. You can't fault the guy for having bad makeup put on his face, though. The scar does not make the man. Yeah, no, I don't, he didn't do it for me. Well, I think he takes things up a notch in a couple of scenes. We'll get to that in just a minute. Uh, all right. PD manages to get past the guy working the door. He waits until the perfect moment when Leroy and Skillet come out to address the crowd and then uses the devil's cane to make them throw harsh insults at everyone in the audience, especially Mr. White and his wife. Now, once they scurry away, PD has a little fun with the singer who places them on stage. He uses the cane to send her wig flying up into the rafters and then has her dress literally fall off her body. But that is nothing compared to the Ten Commandments-style storm he conjures up in a minute. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this uh, is all starting to go pretty poorly for the two people who have wronged Petey Weedstrop. He's making their opening show a disaster, and uh, it's going to be even worse as uh, the lightning and thunder and foamy rain start tearing down inside this place. Everyone starts screaming and running off and heads for the exit. The doors seem to be locked for a second, though, so people are having trouble getting out of there. It's not going to be great for Leroy and Skillet here. Oh, definitely not. Uh, this not only clears out their club, almost certainly putting them out of business, but that guy with the fucking scars getting roughed up in the alley at the same time by uh, old Ted there, Larry's brother. Yeah, older brother of Larry Ted. 
beating the shit out of Scarface. And that means there's nobody to protect these two as they head out of the club. Who grabs a hold of them? Fucking Mr. White's goons show up and take them out. Those guys who never talk. They didn't want to pay them. <laughs> yeah, they didn't want to pay them anything. We do know, though, that uh, they don't have long to live. Uh, we can assume that because they fucked this up so hard, it was their last mistake. And I don't think Mr. White uh, enjoyed his wife being the center of some of those jokes. And uh, I don't think he's likes losing all of that money. So these two are not long for the world. No, he made it clear that if this club failed, they would too. And P.D. Wheatstraw has basically taken care of that. Uh, all of this business, though, catches the eye of the devil himself and, more importantly, his daughter. She tells her father in no uncertain terms. Oh, father, my joy is, is as boundless as the sea. He's divinely sexy. And although we haven't seen her face at this point, the husky voice she's firing these lines off with is not promising. <laughs> oh, I thought you were uh, into that. I thought that was going to be uh, more prominent for you. <laughs> no, man, there's the line, and she is, like, past the line. Yeah. This goes beyond, like, sexy, raspy to, like, fucking 10 packs a day trucker. Okay, all right. So, yeah, but she's down now. Babe, like, How could she not be? He just fucking uh, used the devil's powers. He's beating guys up. He's ripping bitches' clothes off. I don't know. Yeah, well, now we have Nell, who is unsatisfied him. Now we have the devil's daughter, who is also unsatisfied by him. They both want him. Oh, she is? Oh, I see what you're saying. Right? Like, they're both lusting They're very him. horny for yeah. Rudy Ray Moore. Yeah, so he's got quite the, like, number of ladies looking for him, and there's going to be some more coming soon here. Well, yeah, <laughs> that's, uh, that's a whole other thing. But uh, he is on top of the world right now, P.D. Wheatstraw is, walking around town using the devil's cane to save lives, grant wishes, and uh, scold children before aggressively grooming them, I guess. But uh, what he doesn't know is that the devil has come a-calling, and he's looking to collect on their bargain. What did you think about this whole helping the community montage? Uh, it was interesting. Um He's really leaning into these powers here. He's got a very flamboyant outfit on. Like, he's he's really well-dressed. Uh, he's he's Rudy Ray Moore. Yeah. <laughs> the guy always dresses flamboyantly. Everything he has on is like that. We're talking about the fucking funeral suit. Come on. But, yeah, he's walking, and he's got this song playing in the background that I'm not sure he's not singing. It's like a... Oh, I think he's singing that yeah, song. Yeah. yeah, and it's pretty good. And uh, he's helping this poor family. He gives them a nice car and nice clothes. The scolding of the children was a little bit interesting. It was aggressive, more so than you would uh, expect to well, see. Well, he saved the kid's life. Well, that was fair. Um, but the way that he scolded the other kids uh, for their behavior afterwards Why was... Why do you want to comb the kid's hair? They don't get it. Yeah, I don't know. Um, it's an aggressive hair combing, too. Yeah. You kind of roughs that kid up. He roughs him up a lot. Yeah. So it's, I don't know. <laughs> it was an uncomfortable yet, like, I understand scene. He was, like, coming into his own, I guess. I'm not surprised here, though, as he's using this cane so much and getting into all his powers that it's going to be about time soon for him to pay what he owes to the devil. For sure. But as a montage, how did you feel about it? Oh, oh you are I, a montage lover. Oh, yeah. I enjoyed it. I thought overall it was a good way to show his. <laughs> His, his progression, right? To his show philanthropy them. in a way. Yeah. He's yeah, helping he's the community really, in his own really way. He's helping them in his own way. Yeah. But as you alluded to, the devil wants to close this deal real bad. And he shows up in Petey Wiestra's dressing room to put the pressure on. Now, Petey manages to get him out of there, and he calls his friend Jimmy for some advice. And what is that advice? Call us up and tell him you got the claps, and you want to take a few years to clear your system up. Man, that's not a few-year affair. That's only a few-day affair. Well, 
Hell, tell them you got the Alabama claps. Shots fired at Alabama? What? What is <laughs> They have some more virulent STIs than uh, the other states. Oh, damn, I didn't realize. That's <laughs> a, a rough go for Alabama right there. Yeah, you do, yeah. do not head down there and have unprotected sex. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> Petey Wheatstraw's got a better plan. He tells Jimmy to make a mask that looks like him. Then they'll find an old wino and dope him up so he doesn't know where he's at. Slap that Petey mask on him and bam, you've got a willing groom. Or at least a conscious groom. Well, not conscious exactly, but whatever. The guy's got a pulse. You're big on propriety, right? How'd you feel about them c- being some homeless guy? <laughs> not great. <laughs> I didn't think so. <laughs> not great. Um, this whole thing is uh, a terrible idea, right? You're you're not going to well, fool the devil. You're not going to fool the devil. I don't know, right? And we also are trusting. So they drug up this. Like they make it guy. very clear that they're not just gonna get him drunk. They're gonna use like the heavy stuff. It's not that they're gonna fucking like inject him with heroin or something. They did. Is that <laughs> they absolutely did? They show them doing that, um, and they get him all fucked up. What I was amazed by was how great this mask looked. It was uh, oh, fuck. It did not look great at first. <laughs> the guy's got it. It looks like a drawing on a piece of fucking brown construction paper. I know, but immediately after they transitioned to actual Rudy Ray Moore well, sitting that, there, it looks it, fantastic. Yeah. It's amazing how good you can make the mask look when it's just the fucking actor whose real face it is. Yeah. Um, despite how ridiculous this all sounds, it sure seems like this plan is going to work. They do find a wino. They put the mask on him and the devil is none the wiser. In fact, he is in absolutely great spirits as he heads out for his morning jog. That jog takes him by Petey Wheatstraw's club where he tells Petey he's got a very special gift for him. That gift can be found in an old condemned building. It's a bunch of sexy devil ladies, which leads us into what might be the best montage I've ever seen. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, this is the orgy montage. That's exactly what it is. Is this the first orgy <laughs> montage you've ever seen? In a non-pornographic movie? Maybe. I don't know. Yeah, this is uh, pretty <laughs> it's special. Ridiculous. Uh, it is It is mostly shots of him and women. Just legs up in the air. Yeah, well, there's a lot of legs up there where lots of shots of him providing a cunnilingual service to... <laughs> <laughs> the ladies yeah man it's like he's working on a conveyor belt only instead of assembling car parts or whatever his job is to boxes <laughs> <laughs> he's really licking <laughs> today <laughs> there's also some thrusting he's on top of you of them and, and there's this- some like a, the there's some of that like benny hill chase them over the bed and run around kind of stuff too that you get very much so yeah. uh this shit is absolutely hilarious and so is the parting comment that pd makes to the ladies i'll never forget this raggedy old shack. If I ever get a chance, I'll damn sure come back. A gift from my father that's against the law. But you girls will always remember old Petey Wheat Straw. He's literally f- these she devils into a coma. Yeah, they're <laughs> all passed out. They're all passed out, and he has done good work and he's heading off. I mean, this is where Rudy Ray Moore is doing the number one thing he sets out when he makes yeah. every movie express his own. Fucking virulent, uh, virulent yeah. sexuality. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, Number one well. goal achieved he's, here. Yeah. <laughs> he's doing it well. So it looks like Petey Wheatstraw is going to pull this thing off. His friends put the wine out in the devil's limousine when it's time for the wedding. But unfortunately, this guy picks the worst possible time to sober up. He sees the two demons in the front seat with their low-budget nipple horns and runs out of the car screaming. The devil and his daughter see all of this and know they've been had. They send some other demons to the club to take out Petey and his crew. 
Now, he still has the magic cane, though, and sends these demons back from whence they came. But I guess they needed a few extra minutes of movie because we run this exact same scene back like two minutes later. And again, 30 seconds after that, an alley with some Lil Wayne graffiti on it. Are they just out of ideas here or? Yeah, I'm struggling at this point, right? Like the first time it happened, you were like, okay, it's kind of entertaining. But they ran it back four times. We had four instances of the devil sending these demons or hellspawn or whatever they are. Uh, increasingly poor makeup, too. Like, I felt like they were rushed in making these things look evil. I don't know what was happening here. Well, I mentioned the horns already. We didn't mention that in the fucking orgy scene, but, like, the horns on these people, they look like rubber nipples. Legit. Like, you just got a baby bottle thing on the person's forehead. That's strike one. The actual, like, they put some, like, face paint kind of stuff on them. That, for me, is strike two. And the fucking purple leotards that all these devils are wearing, that is strike three. Yeah, the costumes plus the makeup is is really, really bad here on the sort of devil characters. They also don't seem that menacing. Like, none of them seem particularly strong or powerful. They seem like or, dancers. Yeah, it does. They're it just kind of like dancing around performance him. Maybe the leotards. I don't yeah. know. He's not looking too bad here. He does it four separate incidents in different locations. I kind of feel like the, the point of this, if I'm trying to find a point, is that the devil is just going to keep sending goons until P.D. Weistrock is sent to the marriage. Like, obviously, he can't fight them off forever, right? He's going to get tired eventually, whereas the demons can just keep coming, keep coming. But what kind of tips the scales here is the devil grabs Nell, uh, P.D. Wheatstraw's lady friend slash personal assistant. So it looks like we're headed for a final showdown, which we get on a nearby rooftop. And despite losing the magical cane in this skirmish for like 10 fucking minutes, P.D. manages to get it back and seemingly destroy the devil, which some special effects that I could only describe as mind-bogglingly bad. <laughs> yeah, this last battle on top is really, really poor. The staff gets knocked away, and the devil's alone beside it, but doesn't, doesn't pick it up. Pick yeah, it up could have had it like, easily. Come on. Petey does effectively use it to light him on fire and send him off. The burn into the ground effect, oh boy. But even the fire thing, he just kind of picks the devil up, goes to throw him over the side. We get another like clearly drawn-in kind of like star wipe or explosion wipe, and all of a sudden the devil's body's on fire. It's burning on fire. What is clearly a dummy hits the ground. And then, yes, we get kind of like, not like a chalk outline, but like a charcoal outline. It's like a that burn uh, shadow kind of is the way I can describe it. And it, it's not good. It, yeah, it's this, not good. Yeah, this isn't great. It looks, though, like Petey Wiedstra has uh, won the day. Um, his friends were waiting out front, or they were supposed to be waiting out front for a car, but... Despite him asking them to wait for him and him saving all of them, they decide they need to go get their shit from an apartment. Well, Nell pushes for that, but uh, Jimmy, I think, was in the car as well, and he's like, no, we got to wait. And they're still out there, but I did say seemingly uh, defeats the devil a minute ago because when P.D. Wheatstar returns to street level, he gets into what he thinks is his friend's car, but then the driver turns around, revealing himself as the very same devil that Petey just thought he destroyed. Uh, a demonized version of Leroy and Skillet are in there too. They got fresh sets of those fucking devil horns. And the last words we hear are from the devil's daughter, who is also in the car. She tells Petey Wheatstraw, Now you may kiss the bride! Before revealing her hideous face and laughing maniacally. Petey's terrified screams take us to the credits after a hard zoom and a freeze frame. And we once again get the theme song. 
And that's it, man. We're into the credits, and this thing is done, coming in at a respectable hour and 40 minutes. Yeah, yeah, right at, right where it should be for a feature-length movie here. Uh, I kind of like the ending, though, and, and I know that he doesn't uh, shy away from giving you kind of a tougher ending, which I like as a choice, right? It's It almost takes that horror movie track here, it kind of feels like. Oh, yeah, we get like a dark ending, and we see that again, a much more extreme version in Disco Godfather a few years later. So Rudy Ray Moore, not afraid to go dark with it. I mean, the devil always wins, right? Yeah, and I think some of the devil stuff, despite it being slapsticky in many ways, and this is also inspired by classical horror that ending is something that i feel like would happen in one of those movies too right I, yeah I definitely like that so uh we've reached the end here why don't we take a little closer look find out how we're both feeling about this movie let's transition to our ratings the way we always do this we rate the movie on a scale of one to ten two times one to ten for how bad it is one to ten for how enjoyable and the goal is to find movies that are a 10 or a 10 on both scales or what we call the crit 20 and i'm just going to kind of freestyle this one here because we haven't you know we're recording right away after we watched it haven't had a lot of time to think about this this is our third rudy ray moore movie as we mentioned and in my mind no one better exemplifies why we have our two different rating scales we got a lot of shit when we were discussing <laughs> the rating scale people were like i don't understand like whatever but it's like he is an incredibly enjoyable performer but his movies are fundamentally undeniably bad. And this one is not an exception to that rule. Like, the acting is often of an incredibly low quality. We already talked about how bad the special effects were in some of the makeup and costumes. The plot is, at times, just nonsensical, bordering on incomprehensible. But he's entertaining as fuck. So, like, I struggle with how to rate how bad this is compared to how much I enjoyed it. Because I'm getting kind of pulled in both directions here. I I have to give it a 10 because like the low budget production quality, it is just absolutely low grade B-movie cinema. Love the guy to death, but so much of this is fundamentally just awful. I have to give it a 10. How did you feel? My bad rating is going to be quick. I don't disagree with you. I think it's a 10 bad. I thought that the acting, right, it's clearly not professionals doing this acting for the most part, and and it comes across pretty badly. The plot uh, had it figured out in the first 10 minutes of it, but it also at times was, like like you said, hard to follow. (laughs) Even though I called what was going to happen, the way that we got to it was, like, very unpredictable and strange. The action sequences, the martial arts in there, (laughs) it adds so much to the enjoyability but is so amateur that yeah. it has to be a part of the bad. And, of course, the the makeup. Some of the costume choices, the costuming on, like, most of the people in the 70s is amazing, right? Like, the fashion and even the setting and places they God, choose are a lot of fun, God, the costumes are incredible, yeah. Um, and, and the locations, yeah. We went to a couple of the clubs. Like, look at yeah. the fucking setting, like, the, the, the booths, the stuff on the wall, the bar areas. Like, my God. It's awesome. Um, but the choices for all of the, like, demons that come are pretty bad like all those leotards and stuff (laughs) they're laughable so all of that together i had it as a 10 bad but enjoyability yeah how enjoyable did you find it um so like always the music right the theme song and all of the music built in uh the other performances that come in are really fun rudy ray moore is fantastic right like he carries a movie just based on personality right like his persona the amount that he 
like feels so confident about who he is as a human, his willingness to create this thing, his willingness to tell everyone how good a fucking lover he is all the time. <laughs> it's just so, so funny. Um, yeah, I like some of the craft choices he's added in here, some of the lighting, and I like that he's trying things, right? He's yeah. moving. Um, I, I still think that the first one we watched together, the Human Tornado, Tornado yeah. was the most entertaining. You're on record as saying that you regret not giving out the Crit 20. Yeah, that was yeah. the... Of all of the scores I've given on this podcast, that is the You've one You've said I this a couple times yeah. this year, and, and you're not wrong. Um, so this isn't going to go above that. I did enjoy watching it, and I'm going to give it an 8. So yep. uh, like I, I enjoyed it as that, but uh, to me, this one can't push past that one for, for how much I enjoyed it. Uh, no, I agree. We're going to have the exact same fucking score here. I feel like this has happened a few times this season. <laughs> oh, and no. uh, for me, like I gave Human Tornado a 10 for enjoyable. I gave it the crit 20. I forget what I gave Disco Godfather for enjoyability. It might have only been an 8 as well. But I have this uh, as an 8 here because it's got all the fun Rudy Ray Moore elements. But there were some times when things were just lagging. The pace really fucking slowed down. Um, it's a lot of the part towards the end, actually. And I think you mentioned, too, that it was kind of dragging. And that, to me, takes away from the enjoyability. But still, when you've got him in a sexual montage where it's just sped up footage of him, like, going around, just fucking, like, burying his face in <laughs> devil p***. Devil, <laughs> devil p***. <laughs> yeah. Exactly, yeah. And, like, you know, thrusting wildly. And then you just get that, like, giant happy look on his face, which we see a few times. How can you not fucking love that shit? Like, the montage where he's going around granting wishes and just like at one point money's just falling from the sky as he's this giant maniacal like laughter fuck dude it's just he's a good time every time i've got this as an eight enjoyable because it's not as good as some of the other ones but you can't go wrong watching a rudy amor movie he's a treasure he's a treasure is how i describe it and if you've never seen a rudy amor movie maybe do it in the opposite order that we did here but i almost forgot there was a freeze frame <laughs> So I said it was an eight. I have to bump it up to a nine because my own personal rule, as longtime listeners know, whenever there is a freeze frame ending, it always raises the enjoyability by one. So I'm actually going to bump this up to a nine. So a 10 for how bad it is and a nine for how enjoyable. Um, that's how I felt about this. How did you feel about this beer? I enjoyed it. Um, I've had it a couple times before. Um, I didn't know what to expect the first time I had it. Um, and to be honest, when I bought it the first time, I thought it was a session IPA. I thought it was a fucking stout. I'm mean, grabbing a stout, right? I was actually a stout glass. You're like, no, and I was very confused. Yeah, and so um, I was a little surprised, but I do like that that mix of IPA flavors, um, but with a little bit of a smoother finish. Yeah, you described this to me as kind of a reverse IPA. It's a very unique flavor. I've never had a beer like this before, and I did enjoy it, kind of like getting that different flavor at the beginning and then sort of transitioning to a more traditional like malty finish. So yeah, really cool beer. Uh, Clifford Brewing Company. I've had a few other things before, and uh, they're pretty available throughout Ontario on the LCBO, I think. And yeah, our, definitely. Yeah. Um, so worth checking out for me. Yeah, definitely check out some other stuff from Clifford. They're great. Um, just really nice people, really good in the community, and uh, they make some really strong ones. I actually really like their Crusher, their light lager for me. See, that surprises me because yeah. you're not a big lager guy. You always say that, but... Yeah, uh, <laughs> I do. I, do. Yeah. I always say it. <laughs> but yeah, that's one of my go-tos right now when I'm looking for just a couple beers to crush. Uh, Well, I mean, it's right there in the name. It's the fucking crusher, yeah, so you can crush pretty, it all day long. It's got a wrestler on the front. It's uh, it's pretty awesome. Not a real wrestler, though, is it? Or no, is no. It? it? No, I don't think no, so. I don't know. Yeah, that'd be pretty funny, though. That would be. 
I'll tell you what's not going to be funny. As people know, I am a giant fan of the movie Predator. In fact, it is my favorite movie of all time. I also love the Alien franchise, but uh, two weeks from now, we're going to be talking about the horrible result of when those two franchises meet. We're going to be talking about Alien versus Predator, and I am not looking forward to it. <laughs> oh, man. Um, I think I saw this in theater. Uh, probably. Aren't Aliens the really cool one and Predators kind of suck? You know what? It's been a long time since you've tried trolling me and getting me to react emotionally to what you're saying. It's been at least, I would say, uh, three or four episodes. I'm not going to lower myself to this level. I'm already <laughs> staring at the barrel of having to watch this fucking oh. atrocious movie that like tried its best to murder not one but two beloved franchises. So I'm not going to I'm not going to go down there to where you're begging me to go. I'm just going to say that it's been a long, long time since I watched this. And although I swore a vow to never watch it again, we do these things for our art. I'll watch it for the podcast and we'll just kind of see how it goes. But I'm not looking forward to it as a longtime Alien and Predator fan. But hey, we'll give it a shot. I'm looking forward to this. This is going to be fun. Both You're looking forward to watching me just fucking squirm and be miserable? Yeah, both that and watching the movie will be excellent together. <laughs> All right. Well, you can listen to us talk about that in two weeks' time. Before then, if you have not already, please follow us on social media at the BMB Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. Send us emails, thebmbpodcast at gmail.com. Sure, our fourth season is winding down here, but we are taking requests and looking at movies for season five. So feel free to hit us up there. Thank you for joining us today for Petey Wheatstraw, the devil's son. Y'all, we hope you'll join us in two weeks for Alien vs. Predator. Until then, I'm Cooper. And I'm Nolan. And we'll see you next time on Bad Movies and Beer. Keep making deals with the devil. What? That's oh, terrible wait, Don't advice. do that. No. <laughs> what? <laughs> don't make deals with the devil. That's much better <laughs> Have no fear. It's the comedy smash of the year. <laughs> <laughs>